Well, hey, Brookside. My name is Tim, and it is a joy to be together with you today. Hopefully you've heard this a lot in maybe a, a few different places already today, but let me just add my voice to the mix and, and say again, welcome to everyone. Welcome to everyone gathered here at Millard. Uh, welcome to everyone gathered at our Elkhorn campus, to everyone watching online from Mod 7, joining us there. And welcome to everyone checking in from wherever you're at, watching online. Well, well, well it is a true story. Christmas is in the air. My, my boys have been finished with their Christmas list now for a while. Gifts are starting to, to appear under the tree. So now they're at the stage of, of not writing Christmas lists. They're, they're at the point now of like measuring their presents and, and, and kind of shaking the boxes to see what could be inside of them. Christmas music is on the radio. My, my Netflix queue is full of Christmas movies. And as good as these things are, or, or at least as good as they can be, except maybe for some of the predictable Netflix movies, as good as those things are, as good as they can be, well, we all know there's much more to Christmas than just those things. There's much more to Christmas that we want to keep in mind. Christmas is the time when we, when we say in a very special way, where we, where we pause to remember that, that God has sent his son Jesus to earth. God sent his son Jesus, fully God, fully man, through the Virgin Mary. We proclaim this in the songs that we sing. We, we portray this in the nativity scenes that we see when we're driving around. God has come. And, and as wonderful and as glorious as this truth is, I, I, I wonder how often we, we, we stop to, to, to think about, like to really think about, to reflect on, not just the truth that Jesus has come, but, but to ask the question, why? Why did Jesus come? I mean, this is such a valuable question to ask. This question, it takes us to the heart of Jesus' mission and his mystery. In his ministry, this, this question takes us to the heart of Christmas. Answering this question, maybe, is the best way you can prepare for Christmas this year. If you're brand new to church, maybe you're just starting to look into the claims of Jesus. This, this question will take you to the heart of some of the core truths of Christianity that are, worth your deepest, that, that, are, that are worth your deepest and your best attention. But if you've been following Jesus for, for a really long time, this question is still valuable. We never want to get past reflecting on why Jesus came, certainly because it helps us approach Christmas well this week, but, but also just because it, asking this question keeps us centered in the trajectory of Jesus' own mission, what that means for us today. So, so let's just ask the question, why did Jesus come? We've started to see hints at an answer these last couple of weeks in this Christmas for Us Misfits series. We, we, we've seen how Jesus shows care for this group of lepers, the, the, these people who would have been misfits because of a physical disease, people who would have been ostracized and alienated from their larger community, but also from those closest to them, that they were alone in the truest sense of the word. And to these people, Jesus comes and he offers hope and he offers healing. Or we saw Jesus, we've seen how he shows compassion to a prostitute, to this misfit who shelled the weighty shame of sin. She was labeled, she was looked down upon. But Jesus does neither of those things with this woman. Instead, Jesus shows compassion. He offers forgiveness, and he grants peace. 
And then these two snapshots are just a glimpse of what we see all over in the Gospels, that Jesus came for misfits. And this offers such hope to everyone because I'm sure, I'm convinced that, that everyone listening, in some way, will we feel like misfits in our own lives. And then today, this picture of why Jesus came, it gets crystal clear. We, we hear straight from Jesus' mouth why he comes. So, so let's get straight to it, right? Why did Jesus come? Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus, Jesus tells us as clearly as he can, he, he says in his own words, for the Son of Man, speaking of himself, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I mean, this statement is, is very simple to understand, right? It's, it's straightforward, but its implications are huge. And when we think about it, that statement offers each of us hope and a direction. This statement by Jesus, it comes at the end of a story in Luke, where we read about Jesus' encounter with, with another misfit, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. This story of Zacchaeus, it provides this perfect case study, helping us better understand why Jesus came. I mean, what, what we just read in verse 10 of Luke 19, it actually gives us this lens through which we can understand the whole story of Zacchaeus. It gives us the framework we'll follow as we track through the story today. Today we'll see that Jesus came to seek misfits like us. He came to save misfits like us. And then we'll ask the always important question to ask, so what? And we'll see how Jesus' mission then means as much for our lives today as it did when he first spoke those words. Because his mission then is his mission now, still today. You'll walk out of here with an awareness of how much Jesus loves you. Jesus loves deeply enough to, to sacrificially seek those who don't know him. And Jesus is still seeking today. Today we'll dig more deeply into, into the life that Jesus offers. We'll see that it provides deep satisfaction and lasting fulfillment, true direction. Jesus is still saving people today. And we'll see how that motivates our own mission as we live in line with Jesus ourselves. And then my goal in all of this is Christmas. For us to think about Jesus coming to earth as a baby who would become a man who would die on the cross for our sins. For us to think about Christmas in a way that, that, that drives us to, to wonder and to worship and to gratitude. Everyone today will leave with some way to respond, some action point you can do. All right, so let's start walking through our passage in Luke 19. And in a few minutes, we'll cut back to those two points I mentioned, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But here's, here's the first couple verses of Luke 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. And now there's a lot tucked into to just those two verses that I don't want to miss. We, we, we discover that Zacchaeus, one of these main characters in the story, is a tax collector. And tax collectors in Israel were not a popular group. That They were looked at as traitors and as thieves. They, they were traitors because they worked for the foreign occupying government of Rome. And then they were thieves because you, they would use their position to take advantage of others and to exploit an unjust system. Here's kind of how it worked. Whenever Rome took over a city, they would start taxing that city for the larger Roman Empire. 
But, but of course, Rome, R- Roman officials wouldn't and couldn't know where some of the money in the city was. They, they couldn't know some of the under-the-radar or under-the-table ways that money changed hands in all the different parts of the cities they conquered. And, and so they hired these locals, locals who knew where money was, to collect the taxes for them. Rome would let them know what the flat fee was that they would charge, and then anything over that that the tax collectors decided to charge, they could pocket for themselves. And so there was tremendous incentive for greed and for exploitation. The system is almost built for that. So these tax collectors, they would exploit their own people, people they'd grown up with, often even their own relatives, for a foreign empire and for their own pocketbook. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector in Jericho. Jericho was the richest city in Israel. It was this important stop between Jerusalem and the east, this this important trade stop. And so for for a motivated tax collector, business would have been very, very good. So, So Zacchaeus, he's at the top of this pyramid scheme, built on greed at all costs, Whatever the, whatever the cost, whatever the expense to others. There, there is no question that, that money was Zacchaeus' God. I mean, no one would do what a tax collector did if money wasn't the thing driving every action they took. There's a pastor by the name of J.D. Greer. He says it so well. He says, he says money has so gripped Zacchaeus' heart that he's willing to sell out even his most intimate relationships in order to possess money because he thinks money is worth it. And so Zacchaeus, he's at the top of his food chain. He had power, he, he had position, he had privilege, and he had a whole lot of possessions. And he's a misfit. Just like the Grinch, his heart had shrunk, his soul had shriveled, and then whatever relationships he had were were superficial. And and most of those relationships that maybe one time he had had since left him long, long ago. I mean, the corporate ladder that Zacchaeus had climbed to the top, it meant climbing over a lot of people and cutting a whole lot of corners. Zacchaeus, he was a really successful jerk. So Zacchaeus is a misfit, but, but the thing is, he doesn't necessarily look like a misfit. I mean, he's wearing the new clothes. He's driving the new car, pulling into the big house that everybody wants. But, but the house that he pulls into doesn't have anybody else in it. There's this growing awareness in Zacchaeus' heart. And now, now that he's at the top of his profession, now that he's gotten everything that he'd been chasing, that, that all of that is empty. Zacchaeus had had climbed a ladder to the top only to realize that the ladder had been leaning against the wrong wall. Some of you listening in now, you know exactly how Zacchaeus felt. I mean, from the outside looking in, your life looks pretty great. Your friends, those around you would maybe say, hey, he or she, she's at the top of her game. They've they've got it all together. But, But you know there is this ache inside of you. When, you. when you take whatever time you take to reflect, you, you, you just end up with a, with a question. That's it? 
You have everything you thought you wanted. And you still feel empty. And then Zacchaeus hears that that Jesus is in town. I'll pick our story back up in verse 3. And so Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, right? Jesus is, is is in Jericho right now. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. So, so this low tree with lateral branches, it would have been very easy for Zacchaeus to climb. He climbs this sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And now, now Zacchaeus, he's not just curious here. Because in the first century in the Middle East, a man wouldn't do what Zacchaeus does here. A man wouldn't run, period. Right, but, but especially not ahead of a whole crowd of people, especially not a man in his position. In, in the first century of the Middle East, a man wouldn't climb a tree. But Zacchaeus does both of those things. You see, sees Zacchaeus isn't just mildly interested in who Jesus is. The, the picture we get is more, like, is more like Zacchaeus, he feels like he needs to see Jesus. And then in verse 5, when Jesus reached that spot, he, he looked up. So, so you get the sense that Jesus stops. There's, there's this whole crowd around him. You, you get the sense that people are kind of bumping into each other. There's this domino effect when, when Jesus, who had been walking, stops. He, he, he reaches the spot. He looks up, and he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I, I must. A very, very strong word there. I must stay at your house today. And now that this man, Zacchaeus, who had been so used to giving orders, he's invited to respond. And so Zacchaeus came down at once, and he welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner, but, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And, and, then, and then Jesus says to him, right? This isn't Jesus talking to the crowds who are muttering. This is Jesus looking Zacchaeus square in the eye. This is Jesus talking very, very, very tenderly. I would guess very tenderly to Zacchaeus. And he says, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Abraham was, was, the, was the hero of faith in the Old Testament, right? So, so Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, you're now characterized, you now stand out for tremendous, true faith. And then, and then the statement that is so good, then Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So, so Jesus, he came to seek misfits like us. We, we certainly see this in the story of Zacchaeus. Now, maybe you're saying, hang on, Tim, wait, wait just a second. Isn't Zacchaeus the one seeking Jesus? Isn't Zacchaeus the one who's, who's running ahead of the crowd, who's climbing trees to see Jesus? Yes, that is true. But as we look more closely at the story, we, we see something else, something even bigger going on at the same time. Look with me at verse 5. In verse 5, we, we see that Jesus, when he reached the spot that Zacchaeus was, he stops, he looks right at Zacchaeus. Now, now Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people who want to be around him. 
Why does Jesus stop at Zacchaeus? We see, we see Jesus address Zacchaeus by name now to, to our knowledge that there's never been any time when Jesus interacted with Zacchaeus before this. But when, G, when Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name, the, the sense you get is that Zacchaeus had already been on Jesus' mind. And then Jesus says he must stay at Zacchaeus' house uh, against everything that would have been culturally appropriate. Jesus invites himself over. This, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus invites himself in to somebody's house. And so before Zacchaeus had changed at all, he's, he's still a tax collector, right? He's still the successful jerk there in verse 5. Before Zacchaeus had changed at all, Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus extends this, this deep hand of fellowship because that's what it, that's what eating with somebody in the first century conveyed it wasn't just casual it was this deep sense of friendship and so when we add all of this up it's not only Zacchaeus who's seeking Jesus Jesus is seeking Zacchaeus so some of some of you listening to me right now you're, you're actively investigating who Jesus is, because you, you want to see for yourself. You would call yourself a seeker. And so even while you actively seek Jesus, today, today I want to open up your eyes to, to the idea that, that maybe at the same time, Jesus is seeking you. Uh, are there ways that you look back over your, your own life in the last few maybe days or weeks or months, but, but you say, hey, hey maybe that was, was God seeking me. I mean, is the fact that you're where you're at right now, listening to a sermon preached as part of a church service, is that maybe one small way that, that God is seeking you? And then certainly don't miss what Christmas screams at us, that God sent his son to earth, crossed the greatest chasm that we could never cross ourselves to seek the lost. God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. God didn't wait for, for me to get my act together. God didn't wait for me to come to him. God came to us most clearly in the person of Jesus. Now let me speak to a few of you, any of you, that are saying, hey, you know what, Tim, maybe Jesus came to seek and save but, but I'm pretty good where I'm, at. He, uh, where I'm at. Jesus could look all he wants, but I'm fine where I'm at. Thank you very much. With all the, with all the genuineness and with all the respect that, that I can convey, let, let me just ask the question that's worth asking. But, but what if you're lost and you don't even know it? When Carrie and I were in our early 20s, uh, we lived in Chicago for a few years while I was going to seminary there at a school in the Chicago area. And so a few times a year, we'd make our way back from Chicago to Omaha to Nebraska, where we both have families. And so, so a few times a year, we'd, we'd, we'd cross the state of Iowa, right? And I remember one time on one of these trips back, we were stopped at, at a gas station around Des Moines somewhere. Uh, one of these gas stations, I, I call it a a pretzel hub. It's, it's one of these interstate places, right, where, where all these interstates and highways 
all, they all connect, and then they all send you out in different directions. So this, it's a pretzel of interstates, right, is what it is. But so we, we were stopped at a gas station at one of these interstate hubs around Des Moines. I feel our 1998 Oldsmobile Intrigue up with gas. We hop back in the car, and, and we, we start heading back to Omaha, comma, or so we think. But, but instead of going west towards Omaha, I accidentally got on a road taking us south towards wherever we would have ended up if I had kept on that road. We were on that road for maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I don't know, before I realized, oh, snap, I need to turn around and get a, get, go in a different direction. We were lost, and we didn't even know it. The Bible tells us that, that, that apart from Jesus, we are all, all of us, lost because of sin. I mean, maybe you feel like your sin is small. Maybe you know your sin is big, but the perceived impact of your sin, it doesn't change the reality of your sin. And so apart from Jesus, we are all lost because we're sinners. We're all lost apart from Jesus. And our lostness isn't a small thing. Our lostness is desperate enough that nothing less than the sending and the sacrifice of God's beloved Son would address and resolve our lostness. And so in the midst of all of this, and in the midst of this desperate, hopeless state of lostness, Jesus seeks the lost. That's hope. But Jesus does more than seek. We see, we see that Jesus saves misfits like us. But by the end of this story in Luke 19, Zacchaeus is a completely changed man from when the story started. His, his eternity is different, absolutely. But, but so is his life in the present. So are his values in the present. His heart that had been gripped by money as a chief tax collector is now freed from that. I mean, we, we see this in the radical generosity that Zacchaeus shows. We see this in Zacchaeus' own desire to, to make right wrongs that he'd committed. He was making wrongs right in a way that even went past what would have been asked of him in the Old Testament law. I mean, this generosity, this is important, right? So hear me, hear me say this. This generosity that, that Zacchaeus shows, it's not what earns him salvation. But instead, this, this generosity that Zacchaeus shows, shows, it demonstrates that his heart has been saved, that his heart has been freed from the thing that grips it. If you were reading through the Gospel of Luke, Zacchaeus here provides such a contrast to a rich young ruler we read about in chapter 18. So, so almost right before this story of Zacchaeus, the, the, the rich young ruler in, in Luke chapter 18, he's, he's so similar to Zacchaeus in so many ways. He, he's a rich young ruler, so, so he's got the position, he's got the possessions. He, he's interested in Jesus, this, this rich young ruler. He, he comes to Jesus asking about eternal life. But when Jesus challenges the, the rich young ruler's wealth in Luke 18, that young man, he goes away sad and disappointed. But because wealth had, had such a grip on his heart that when Jesus challenged that, he, he reacted by, 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 by fleeing, by retreating, by, by looking someplace else. His wealth had his heart, 
more than God did. How different from Zacchaeus. I mean, from the way that we read in Luke 19, the way the story reads, Zacchaeus, he voluntarily shows this tremendous generosity that he shows. I mean, it's the overflow of a heart that has been fundamentally changed by God's saving work for us. I mean, we see the transformation in what Zacchaeus treasures most. He, he goes from treasuring money more than anything else to treasuring Jesus more than anything else. That's the only thing that would drive a wealthy tax collector to give up half of his money, to, to make recompense for those he had wronged. Zacchaeus is transformed. He, he's saved from being a man who's, who's a successful jerk now he's saved being a man who, who is now characterized by Abraham. And, and it all happens because of a deeply personal encounter with Jesus. Jesus is still saving people today, Brookside. One of the websites I pop in and out of every now and then is a website called IamSecond.com. What I Am Second is, is it's basically this collection of video stories sharing how Jesus has saved people and how he's still changing and transforming lives. I was on their web website again this last week. Here's, here's some of what their About page says. It says, I Am Second wants to make Jesus and his love visible, but by telling redeemed stories, by, by just reminding us all, keeping in front of us that Jesus is still saving people. It goes on to say, to, to date we've released 125 films with over 100 million collective views. And then it says, we, we seek a world where people become second, serving and loving each other as they put Jesus first. That's a great picture. That's a great statement of exactly what we see happening in the story of Zacchaeus. And so some of the people featured on this IamSecond.com website, a lot of the people are famous. They're people you've heard of. Others are people you probably haven't heard of, or at least I haven't heard of them. But, but they're all stories in just a few minutes at a time helping us see that Jesus is still seeking and he's still saving the lost. And we see that here in our own church family, right here at Brookside. I mean, our own stories overflow with how Jesus has saved us. I, I love the stories of how we hear that happening in our kids' men, elementary school, in our, in our middle school, high school ministries. For some of you, we know that happens in, in college or maybe as, a, as an adult. But we hear all of these stories of people who have chosen to place their faith in Jesus alone and treasure him above all else. And if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus, he can still save you. The, the crowd, they probably thought Zacchaeus was beyond hope. I, I wonder if Zacchaeus thought Zacchaeus was beyond hope. But, but Jesus didn't. You may be a, a successful but miserable misfit, just like Zacchaeus. I mean, you're managing life fine on the outside, but on the inside, you are a mess. You're empty, you're unfulfilled, you're miserable. You, you've done what you've needed to do to get to the top, but, but you know that your soul is shriveled and you have no one close, no close relationships around you. Zacchaeus heard that Jesus had come, and, and, and that led to this series of events 
in his own life that radically transformed him, that saved him from being the man that he was to being a man whose eternity and whose present is dramatically different. We have the same news to proclaim that, that Zacchaeus heard in the first century. Jesus has come. That's what Christmas tells us. Jesus has come in the first century. Now he's still saving people as our risen Lord and Savior today. He can still radically transform your life in all the right ways. And so Jesus, he came for people who are misfits. Misfits like us. And so now let's, let's get back to that question that we never want to get far away from. Let's just ask the question, so what? Well, what does all this mean for your life today? What does this mean for your life this week? For, for some of you, the, the right next step, especially if everything you've heard me say is, is brand new to you, if this is the first time you've ever read any of the Gospels, if, the, if this is the first time you're really starting to hear about the person and work of Jesus, if that's you, maybe the first step is just to, is just to keep seeking, to take those first steps where, where you've heard about this man from Nazareth. You, you, you've heard him say that he, he can do only the things that God can do. And now you need to see Jesus for yourself. Don't let any excuses keep you from looking into Jesus. Zacchaeus, he made time in his schedule. He ran ahead of the crowds and he climbed a tree. What do you need to do to see Jesus for yourself? And so the, the things I'd encourage you to do are, are to read the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible. The, those, are, those are four books of the Bible that will show, show you very clearly first century historical accounts, right? Who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for us, for his followers. Put yourself around Christians who can help you get to know Jesus better, and then, and then ask your best questions, and, and, then, and then do the work to see how informed and caring Christians respond to those questions. And then even as you seek Jesus, keep your eyes and your heart open to, to the fact that, that maybe at the same time, Jesus is seeking you. Others of you, it's time to respond to Jesus' invitation. I mean, you, you know that Jesus is looking at you, saying your name, just like he did to Zacchaeus, saying, today, I, I must come to your house. I mean, imagine how ridiculous this story in Luke 19 would be if Zacchaeus had done everything that he did to see Jesus, to put himself in proximity to God come to earth in, the, in a man. Imagine how, how ridiculous it would be if Zacchaeus had done all of that if Jesus had said to Zacchaeus, hey, I must come to your house today, and then if Zacchaeus had said, you know, let's, let's wait off on that just a little bit longer. I, I've, I've seen you. I, I know I need something, but, but hey, Jesus, I'm going to keep you at arm's length until it's a little more comfortable for me. Zacchaeus would have missed out on such an opportunity to experience life with Jesus See, Zacchaeus, he, he knew he needed Jesus. His heart was ready, and that is why Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus gladly like he did. Some of you listening to me today, you, you know your life is miserable, right? Those are strong words, but, but you know it's true. You, you have these feelings of emptiness, of dissatisfaction, of hopelessness. 
You, you know your life is all of those things. And, and, and you even know that, that Jesus is the answer. So, so today I want to give you the chance to, to respond to that. You can do this in your own chair, right where you're at, just between you and God, saying something very much like the following, just the, this posture of your heart echoing back to God, where, where, you say, where you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I am empty without you. And then you say, Jesus, Jesus, I trust in you. I, I welcome you into my life. I, I trust in the work you've done for me on the cross to save me from my sins. And then just as, as a way to welcome Jesus gladly, you just finish that by saying, Jesus, today I welcome you gladly and I follow you as my Savior and my Lord. For anyone today who, who has echoed that, their, that prayer, if that, if that is truly the posture of your heart before God, then what Jesus said to Zacchaeus is the, is the same thing that Jesus says to you. Today, salvation has come. That's hope. Jesus has come to save misfits like us. And then, and then for others of you, your action point is to join Jesus in his mission. I mean, why Jesus came is clear. We've seen it again and again today. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And now for every one of Jesus' followers, his mission sets our own. His, his mission shapes our own. And so, so we point people to Jesus. We point people to his work for us on the cross. Because that is the only thing that can save people from sin. And then to do that, we have to seek people who don't yet know Jesus. This doesn't mean we stay where we're most comfortable. This doesn't mean we stay where we're safe. And we just say, hey, hey come on in. The water's fine. No, that this means we go out of our way in our day-to-day -day lives, just Monday through Saturday, our, our weeks where we interact with people. And we seek out those who don't yet have a saving relationship with Jesus. Or, or maybe it's just those we're, we're trying to figure out where they're at with Jesus. I mean, it means we take the first step. We go knock on doors. We go to them. We don't wait for them to come to us. We engage in meaningful and genuine conversation. I mean, this is why my wife and I, this last Friday night, why we spent our time baking cookies or, or Carrie spent her time baking cookies and I watched, right? But because you don't want to eat cookies I bake, trust me. But why we spent our time doing that and then and yesterday we went around to some of the neighbors in our neighborhood just to say, hey, Merry Christmas. Good to see you. And, oh, and hey, by the way, there's an invite to our Christmas services on those cookies there. If you don't have a place to go for Christmas Eve, we'd love to see you at Brookside. It's, it's as simple but as intentional as that. This, this takes courage. I'm an introvert, right? So it's always easier for me to stay where it's safe and comfortable. It, it takes courage. You have to overcome the reality of awkward. But this is exactly what we need to do if we're going to seek the lost in line with Jesus' own mission. Jesus has come. Christmas proclaims this wondrous truth to us. And, and then, Brookside, this week, even as we celebrate that, Jesus has come. L let's keep in mind why he come, why he came. This week, as you, as you think about Christmas, think Jesus came to seek and to save the lost.
Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to seek and to save us. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it, but you did it, Jesus. So Jesus, as we, as we think about Christmas this next week, Jesus, we, we thank you. We, we worship you we, 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 with gratitude and with wonder because of your work to seek and to save us. Now, Jesus, I pray that, that for each of us here today, we would consider deeply what that means for our own eternal destinies and our own lives right now in the present. If we need to receive you gladly, Jesus, like Zacchaeus did, if we need to join you in your mission of seeking the lost, give us strength, courage, and favor. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.